Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have a mind, you do not have in, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will return, or He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This morning... As we start with this passage, we launch a new series, we step into a new day, we begin the journey, the march, so to speak, towards Easter. I don't know what March typically looks like for you. For me, the beginning of March is when allergies flare up and remind me that, hey, the weather's going to change, but I've got a surprise for you first. At the same time, regardless of when it falls, this is also the march towards the celebration, the greatest celebration that we have as the church, which is the fact that our Savior beat death and brought us the only opportunity, the only hope we have in this world. Imagine with me, if you can, some of you it might have been longer ago than others, imagine with me that you are a senior in high school. You're a senior in high school, and it is March 6th, 2020. Don't try to do the math. Some of you might get discouraged how long ago that's been. But March 2020 specifically, uh, or excuse me, March 6th, 2020 specifically, the, the senior in high school, even in our own community here, would have been looking towards the end of the year with some great anticipation and excitement. They would have been thinking about prom. They would have been thinking about if they were uh, playing a winter sport, they would have been thinking about the tournaments that were coming, if they played basketball or if they wrestled. They would have been thinking about the, the coming seasons of baseball and track and all the things that go along with that. They would have been thinking about the school play that they've been working so hard and, and, and it was coming to fruition that the time was coming for performance. They'd be thinking about graduation. 
And the time when they finally got to get their diploma and walk across the stage after all the time and energy they put in over the course of the last decade plus. But however, all the anticipation, all the thoughts they had were based on the past. They were based on what they knew from before, from older siblings that may have said, hey, don't, don't forget about this. Make sure you do this. Or parents that were saying, hey, this is coming up. You want to do this. You want to... Teachers and, and classmates from the past that are all telling them, here's what to anticipate. Here's the preconceived notion of what to expect over the course of the next several months. And you and I both know that just in a, sh- a few short days that that whole perspective would be dashed. That perspective that they had that they thought was going to take place would be dashed because of the impact of the pandemic that was upon all of us at that point. The thoughts that they had, the things that were in mind, all the things that that they thought of that were going to happen, that were were just a clue from the history, both the, the most recent history, the previous year, back dozens and dozens of years, were not going to happen. In this passage, we see a a great turning point in Jesus' ministry. In fact, right there at the beginning, it says, From this time on, from this moment forward, from this place of teaching, from this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples something new, right? That he must go to Jerusalem, and at this point, they're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? We're going we're to go into town. We're going to take the place by storm. There's going to be this new king in town, Jesus, and we, because of the relationship we have, we're going we're gonna to march in with him. We're going to stand next to him arm in arm, and we're going we're gonna to maybe get to rule something or be in charge of something. We'll be part of his cabinet, and it continues, and they're all, you know, think about this. They're all smiling, thinking, yes, Jesus, tell us what's going to happen. From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, yeah, yeah, tell us, and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. And I'm sure at that point they're kind of, whoa, whoa, Jesus, we we misheard you. Wait a minute. Suffer? Did you mean conquer? Did you mean lord over? Did you mean take over? Did you mean rule? We heard the word suffer. That doesn't make any sense. And as it continues, I'm sure they thought they got more and more puzzled. And then finally at the end of this, this verse, and that he must be killed on the third day. Be, be killed and on the third day be raised to life. What a puzzling passage that would have been for those who were standing there with all the history of what this was going to look like, right? They had this history as, as, as Israelites that they would recognize the fact that one day a Messiah is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And this is the Messiah and he's here and he's establishing this kingdom. And so we know as his disciples what's going to happen. We're going to stand next to him as he brings forth this new day for all people to understand what it means to truly follow God, what it means to be obedient and to walk in his ways. Only for that preconceived notion to be dashed because of this curveball, so to speak, that Jesus throws at the feet of his disciples. Perhaps today, as we look at this, there's another kind of, maybe a a consistent track that's running alongside where we're going to head for this series in general uh, of just thought process and understanding. Let me just say right now, I'm sure that you and I are in the same boat with the recognition that 
The, the celebration of Easter, the celebration of Passion Week, even walking through the Lenten season is an annual thing. It happens every year, so to speak, right? And so because of that specific truth, sometimes it can get kind of old or it can get kind of mundane or it can get routine. And we just kind of say, okay, I'll walk through it. I'll do the things that I need to do. And we have these preconceived notions that, hey, we're going to have a celebration on Easter. We're all going to, we're going to come. Everybody's going to wear their nicest pastels and we're going to enjoy some time together, right? And maybe Pastor Steve will even wear a tie that week, right? And we'll get real holy in the room. But let me just say, right now, in the recognition of where we're at, perhaps today, perhaps today we've come with preconceived notions on what it looks like to walk through this season of hope in Jesus, this journey, this march towards Easter. And so with open hearts and open minds, I want to encourage all of us, myself included, to be open to hearing what the Scripture has to say over the course of the next seven weeks as we explore together the seven promises, the seven gifts of Jesus in his teaching. Today we explore, we identify, we look at the first gift in his teaching, which is the most important in a lot of ways, and that is the life that he gives us. Looking at verse 21, we kind of just walk through this specifically. This is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, this turning from, from healings and doing miracles to saying, okay, there's something else I came for more than just making your lives comfortable or more than just bringing comfort to the lives of the people around you. He's announcing that his kingdom of heaven is coming. And, and here he points to this emphasis, the, re, the reality that it's coming through death and resurrection, a very foreign principle to those that would be listening to him at that point. The disciples didn't understand it because they came with preconceived notions. In fact, if you're joining along with your, your, in your note guide, I'm not sure if it came up yet or not, but the, the point is this, preconceived notions lock the door to truth. They lock the door to understanding, to what God wants for us, to what God wants for us to understand in, in his teaching, in his love, in his engagement. The disciples didn't understand uh, in a lot of ways because of the fact that they already had their mind made up on what was going to happen and how it was going to take place. Kerry Newhoff is a, is, a, is a pastor and a Christian writer, and he, he does blogs, and he wrote this, uh, this article that it's very interesting to me, and it, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's both convicting and encouraging, and it's kind of a motivator, called Six Warnings of a Toxic Person. And, and in his definition, a toxic person is someone who is unhealthy and is unwilling to change. They, they want to stay where they're at. They want to settle where they're at. And there are some very glaring, two specific themes, very glaring themes that come out of it. And I'll just walk through these six things really briefly. The first one is this. They come on too strong. They're in your face. They're right there. They're, they're, they're always attempting to try to be there in the midst. They're, 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 they're in your face. And, and without a doubt, that's not necessarily a bad thing on its own unless it comes from the heart of the rest of them as they walk together. The second one is this. They give you advice during the first conversation or meeting. And I have to believe that Jesus was frustrated with the reality that his disciples always came with advice. They always came with advice. Right here, Peter came with advice, and Jesus called him Satan. Let me just tell you right now, I know without a shadow of a doubt there are people in our lives that come and give us advice. I also know that you're so loving that you're not going to call them Satan, probably to their face, right? Don't do it behind their back either. There'll be another sermon later. 
The third thing is that, that they tell rather than waiting to be asked. They always come with their perspective, their ideas. Here's how you should do it. Here's what you should do. Jesus, this is the way. I, I, I know there's probably a reason for what you're trying to do here, but if you, if you haven't read, there's this other part uh, of the Bible that all this other stuff in here, this is the way you should be doing this. I know that we're kind of putting some stuff together now, some notes that somebody else can have later on. I'm kind of joking right now. Obviously, they didn't have this. But, but here's, the, here's what you want to do, Jesus. Number four, they want to be the center of attention. I'm reminded of a passage where the, the disciples were fighting literally over who was the greatest. Who's the greatest? Who do you love the most? Who's the best one, Jesus? Just tell us. We all know who it is. I'm sure three or four of them were doing this, thinking, I want to hear my name. Now's the time. Number five, you hear from them far too often and, and, and really early on. And in most cases, there's this lack of humility, this, this thinking of themselves greater than they are. And then finally, number six, they have a track record for moving around. And, and that was the case too. You see people throughout the context of Jesus' ministry that they followed him for a while. And then all of a sudden, he said something they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Especially after this turning point. I don't want to die to self. I don't want to carry a cross. I don't want to be crucified. So uh, I heard... Uh, Jeff has something going on over here. I'm going to follow him for a while, right? We've been walking through a staff exercise over the last couple of weeks here at the church with the, the pastoral staff, the ministry staff, and talking about this concept of what things do we value as a, as a, as a staff? What things do we value? And then at the same time, this is kind of difficult to even look at, what things, because of there are the things we value, what things do we not value? Because the reality, we can't value everything. And as we looked at that, we recognized the fact that in the context of this article, in the context of this passage, that there's this overtone, this recognition, this need for two main things. One of them is humility. We need to have this value of, of humility. We need to have this value of recognizing that we don't have it all together. That we don't know better than Jesus, right? And going with that arm in arm is this being a lifelong learner, being someone who doesn't get to a certain point and say, okay, I've got it all figured out. I got all the answers. I've memorized everything. You can ask me. I'm going to get 100% score on whatever test you give me. I know it all, right? No, we need to be lifelong learners. And that all pours into this concept of this implication, and that is this. It's hard to be a learner. It's hard to be humble when we come to the conversation, when we come to the environment, when we come to the engagement, when we come to Jesus with all the answers. Because if we already have all the answers, there's no room for his word, for his guidance, for his direction. If you come with all the answers, you won't hear what God wants to do in your life. You won't be open to allow God to change, to transform you, to challenge you, to give you the, 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 the yes, the no, the, the indifference, or whatever it is, the, the, the wait until later answer to prayer. The implication is this, Christ receives the consumer and transforms them into a contributor because ultimately that's what takes place with the believer. Ultimately, when we come to Jesus, we come, so to speak, and Scripture talks about this metaphorically as well, we come as an infant, as a baby who is needy, who needs things, who needs, needs met and, and, and needs these things all the time to sustain life, to move forward. But what happens as we continue to grow, ultimately, is we go from being a person who is always consuming, I need this, I need this, I need this, to a person who is contributing 
as our heart transforms through God changing us. And we do that through being open and humble. We do that by by being a lifelong learner, by by allowing God to pour into us, to change us, to transform us, so that we go from a place of being one that's always taking in to a person, to an individual, to a believer, to a disciple who is contributing to the kingdom, pouring out our cup. Because a cup that's always taking in, you know what ends up happening? It gets stagnant. It gets self-involved. It stinks. But a cup that's pouring out is one that's always moving, that's always giving birth, that's giving life, that's being the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouthpiece of Jesus as well. An interesting thing about this passage specifically is, is that it's, it's, it's one that corresponds with Daniel's prophecies. The Messiah would be cut off and that there would be a, a period of trouble. And I'm sure the disciples, they kind of, well, they thought, we've already gone through some trouble. There's been some challenges. So we've already done that part of it. And instead, what, what Jesus is saying here is that the king is going to come into his glory and the disciples would have to endure the suffering as the king would as well. When the, when the Messiah comes and the disciples come and those uh, not just in that moment but also here even today step into it just alike, we would, we would engage in the suffering just as we would and ultimately at some point in the reward. In verse 22, Peter talks about this, this devotion to followers and this proclamation that Jesus' true identity, right? So Peter is saying, hey, look, uh, Jesus, uh, I know who you are. We all know who you are. Let's not sugarcoat anything. Let's not hide it. You are God, right? I just want to remind you of that in case you forgot or in case you were thinking about other things. You are God. You don't have to go through this suffering. You don't have to do any of these things. And ultimately, let me just say this, Peter was right. Jesus was a human and he had free will. He could have said, nope, I I don't think I want to do this. That's too much. That's too heavy of a cross. That's too much pain. That's too much discomfort. I don't want to give because it's beyond my means. I don't want to give of my time because I've got other stuff going on. I, I don't want to have this conversation with a coworker. I, I don't want to read or, or, or pray. I, I just don't have time for those things. It's not really, it it's not working for me. And so I don't want to do those things. Yeah, he had the opportunity to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to go to the cross. And sadly, what happens even in life sometimes is some of the greatest temptations that we have come from loved ones or people that are close to us. Not necessarily because they want us to to step into some form of sin or away from what God's doing in our life, but in a lot of cases, the reality is they do it because they they don't want to see us uh, in in discomfort. They want to protect us. They want to help us. They have the mentality of, surely God doesn't want you to face this, this terrible issue or this thing you're walking through. However, often the the most difficult temptations that we have are just simply an opportunity or desire to step away from the discomfort that God wants us to walk through. He didn't necessarily bring it on us, but he wants us to walk through because there's something he wants us to learn from it. Maybe it's letting go of something else that we're holding on to rather than him. Maybe it's, maybe it's having a, 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 a peace or, 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 or relying upon a, an earthly thing or a position or, or health or whatever it might be. And God's saying, no, come to me. I struggled with saying what I'm about to say all week. I'm going to say it because it's going to sound bad. But I'm going to be honest with you about my thoughts in this specific area. And oftentimes I let the scripture speak for itself. This is more of a Steve's thoughts in this in my own practice. Oftentimes I don't pray for physical healing. 
I don't always pray for physical healing because oftentimes I see the recognition that, that a physical issue in a lot of ways can be the opportunity that God wants to, to pour into our lives. Now, I do pray that God would be the great physician and that he would heal, but I do so under the umbrella and the recognition that when God heals or when God allows these types of things to happen, that there is a spiritual lesson. There is a spiritual transformation that God wants to bring. There's, there's something that God wants to do. And when we often pray that God would take away the discomfort or the issue or the, or the broken relationship or take away the, 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 the what, whatever it might be, the, the heartache we're going through, sometimes we try to pray that thing away and we lose the opportunity to learn what God has for us, to grow closer in our relationship with him. So don't get me wrong. I don't pray that people are going to get ill. I don't, I don't say no if somebody says, hey, will you pray for this? But I often will pray and couple it with the reality that God wants to do something spiritually below the surface of that other need. Because usually those needs are an indicator that God wants something from us. And that's where that from consumer to contributor mentality happens. That's where that humility stepping out in faith happens. That's where that being a lifelong learner, God, what do you have for me? I, I don't want to just wish away the issues in my life. Instead, I want to hear your voice. I want you to impact me. I want you to change and transform me. Maybe I'll even challenge us now. When, when, when issues come, when storms come, may our first prayer not be, God, take this away. Get rid of this. May our first prayer be the question, God, what do you want me to learn in the midst of my storm? What do you want to teach me? What do you want me to learn? And maybe you're going through the same cycle. I'm walking through the same issue over and over and over again. And maybe God's saying, hey, you know why? Because you didn't listen. You didn't learn it the first time. When I was in school from time to time, we got to do a retake on a test. And then another one and another one and another one. You know what? Sometimes the recognition there is you didn't learn it. That's why you have to do the retake. Get out of the cycle and let God teach you what he wants to teach you. Verse 23, uh, you know, we see about the, this, these temptations. And I, I'm interested to, in this whole concept of, of seeing Jesus' life in temptation, even in the, in, the, in the midst of what we're talking about now, because Jesus literally experienced temptation when he was alone, when he was hungry in the desert. And the things that Satan attempted to try to throw at him weren't necessarily, hey, Jesus. I mean, he did try to give him some, some grandeur. He did try to say, okay, you'll be this, you'll be that. But the things that he mostly attempted to try to impact him with were the, were the loss of discomfort. Right? Hey, Jesus, let me provide for your needs. Let me give you these things. The temptation wasn't necessarily, hey, go out and rob a bank. But instead it was, hey, why don't I just fill your needs? Just give you what you need. What seems like nice and good things. Satan's trying to, to get us to, to leave God out of the picture. To, uh, and here we see Jesus, and there's an exclamation point, so I would imagine there was, there was no joy in what he was saying. We see Jesus rebuking Peter for his attitude. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
the followers knew. They, they knew at that point what it meant to, to take up their cross. In fact, they, they knew the Roman uh, measure or level of, of execution or crucifixion was done uh, commonly in that time. That method was to, to carry their cross and to be condemned as a criminal, to take that to a specific place where they would be crucified. And so there was no mistake, there was no even metaphor there to some extent, as far as Jesus is concerned, that that was what was going to have to take place if they wanted to experience real and lasting life. Following Jesus, therefore, meant a true commitment, the risk of death and no turning back. The second point is this, the reward of death is the triumph of life. Get this for a moment. The reward of us dying to self, dying to self, put, putting ourself, our own ambitions, our own, our own life, our own way, everything that we are out of the way and allowing God to fill us, the, the, the reward of death is for us to experience real life. Because ultimately, we are dead spiritually before we come into the presence of God, before we allow Him to step into our life, to change us, to transform us, to accept Him as our, as our Lord and as our Savior. You see this picture uh, uh, in, a, in a sports team or, or perhaps in the military or, or even in a marching band where you have to basically say, okay, whatever I wanted to do, if we're going to operate here properly, I have to put aside whatever I wanted to do, whatever I was into. I, I recently, this, this past uh, fall, went to the Athens and, and Alexander football game. And, and while I was there uh, at the halftime, there were many of the students here from, from our church that are part of the band there. And I, I was able to watch them and I recognized the fact that they were in perfect unison most of the time right? Uh, perfect unison as they, as they went through their halftime show. And I was amazed by the reality that if one person would have done their own thing, one person would have, would have held to what they decided to do or what they wanted to do, that it would have wrecked everything. It would have messed up everything. And now looking at it spiritually speaking, and it's not just about the quote, the team, but here in a lot of ways, trials bring us rebirth or success. And looking at it in a spiritual realm, sometimes in life, and matter of fact, ultimately most of the time in life, it's not about what we gain here, the things that we have here or life here in general, but instead it's about our opportunity to say yes to God and no to self. There is a, there's a really bad theology about, out there about this having your, your best life now, so to speak. And the recognition that we, we, we live away so that we can get things, right? If I make God happy, I'm going to get a, a new uh, house and a new boat and maybe a new spouse if you don't like the one you have, right? And I'm going to get all these things. If you don't like the spouse you have, it's your fault. You shouldn't. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> All these things, get all these things here, and that's the point of life, and then I'll be totally happy. No, that's not what, that's not what Jesus says. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, not get a free boat or the keys to a new mansion, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's not about worldly prosperity at all. In fact, it's got everything to do with denying ourselves and allowing God to transform and change us. It's having a different perspective of life. The implication is this. Death must take place to experience life. Death must play, take place in our lives to experience life. And that is, it is the recognition of what God has already done through Jesus. We recognize that, that Christ's death and then ultimately his rebirth is the only way we can experience life. And then we must also step through that same prospect spiritually together. Now, while this passage is, is relatable in a lot of ways, let me just say the prospect of the consequences is not an apples to apples from the original audience to us. 
Because as we move on, as we read through this, there's a recognition on the part of the disciples that they would literally or could literally lose their life for following Jesus. Fortunately for us, we're blessed to live in a, in a country where we are, we are able to worship in this right, in this way, freely, without having any fear of someone coming in and dragging us off to be crucified on a cross. And so for whatever reason, whether it's because of the, the, the lack of urgency or because of the lack of danger, there is this ability for, for you and I to be able to have kind of this chameleon mentality where, okay, yeah, I'll do it when it's convenient. I'll do it when I want to. I don't have to necessarily go all in. The disciples recognize at this point that there was a need to go all in. And let me just rewind back to last week as we talked about the spiritual battle at play. Let me just say this right now, in this moment, in this time, just because there is not someone that's going to come in here and military drag you out and crucify you doesn't mean that there's not a spiritual battle uh, that's a life and death spiritual battle in each one of our lives. There is a, there's a real spiritual battle for your life and there is a life and death consequence. You may not experience it here on this planet at this time, but you most definitely will experience it when you pass from this life into the next. If we try to save our physical life from death, from pain, from discomfort, we risk losing our eternal true life. If we protect ourselves from pain, we begin to die spiritually and emotionally. Our lives turn inward and we lose our intended purpose. When we give our lives in service to Christ, however, we discover the real purpose of living. The passage moves on in discussion of what it means to, to give our lives and have this perspective that's beyond just the here and now what we see. When we don't know Christ, we choose different things in life that seem suitable to self. But in reality, the life that we have is just an introduction of eternity. How we live the brief span of life that we have here determines our eternal state and in the eternal destination of our soul. In some regards, this is an opportunity for us to be able to look at every aspect of life with an eternal perspective. You can find your values and your decisions and all the things that you have changing as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus Christ has given the authority uh, to, to judge all on the earth. And although his judgment is already working in our lives, there is a future, final judgment uh, when Christ returns and everyone's life is reviewed and evaluated. The final point is this, his death brings us life. His death literally brings us life. In the previous point, we talked about our death and how we need to die to self. Well, right here, the origin of that, the only way that it's made possible is because of the fact that Jesus first died for you and for me and for your, your, your friends and your neighbors and your ancestors and those, those that have lived for thousands of years. Every single person Christ died for and brought the opportunity for life. And the final implication is this, evaluate all things from an eternal perspective. Evaluate all things from an eternal perspective and there will be a result and there, will, and there you will find your values and decisions changing. 
It goes from this consumer uh, mentality of getting and receiving and being at the, at the me, me, me end to this place of, of contributorship where we are giving, where we are an outflowing, a, a pouring of, of who God is and what he does. Let me just tell you, let me just say this. I've heard it said before, but when practiced, it comes to real life. You cannot outgive God. We, we, we can't out-teach, we can't out-love, we, we can't out-give, we, we, can't, we, we can't, God is ultimately the winner in all of those cases. And for some, you might say, well, then why even try, right? Well, God's got this taken care of. No, God invites us in to be his hands and feet, to be his loving mouthpiece, to be his arms wide open, to love those that are around us. Get this you're here, you, you, you are wherever you are in your spiritual walk because someone else chose to give. Someone else chose to love. Someone else chose to express the truth to you, whether through their words, their actions, or through both. Someone else chose to go from consumer to contributor. And as we launch this, this series, I, I, I'm so excited about the, the, the concepts of what we're going to walk through, all the promises that God has given us through the person of Jesus. But I can't help but realize that this foundational stone as we start is kind of a call to arms, a call to duty, a, a call to service for us as the church. Because this is the season where ultimately, and, and you might not know this, you've probably heard the phrase before, creasters, right? Some people, they only go to church on Christmas and Easter. They're a creaster, Right? Let me just tell you, this season, there is a, there's, a, there's always, and it seems like it happens, you know, as the weather changes and there's, there's this rebirth of all things outside. You see the trees budding and all the things that happen and, and through nature. It's, 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 it's this ushering in of the Spirit and people are just open to hearing the gospel. It seems like people are, are just open to, to hungry uh, of something new, of something real, something they've never experienced before. And so maybe the challenge uh, for us as the church is not only to experience it afresh and anew and not to come with our preconceived notions, but maybe to step out as the church and to be the ones who bear that truth, that gospel to the people in our context. Maybe this is the season where we step forward and we become the, the conduit, the vessel that brings forth the, the truth of the life that God wants to grant for you and for me and for the person of the, in the cubicle next to us. Certainly this season is one that is poised for opportunity for people to grow and to learn. Perhaps the people in your context are walking through an, a season of preconceived notions. And there's no recognition at this point for them that a curveball is coming, but that curveball is going to be thrown by the Spirit, and you're going to be the one they're helping. When I was uh, younger, I, I remember specifically, remember specifically this one birthday party that my sister had. It was an interesting birthday. She was actually in high school at the time. And this is way before there was a, there was a, a vast array of, of children's activities all over uh, the, the United States. At this point, if you wanted to go to the coveted Chuck E. Cheese, you had to go to Columbus and Columbus only. And we lived about an hour away. And, and like I said, she was in high school, but she said, hey, let's all go to Chuck E. Cheese. We're going to have a good time. And so I was younger and I thought, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese is still cool to me because I'm, I'm still in that age bracket, right? And so I, I thought, yeah, I want to go. And she got all of her friends together from youth and some friends from, from the school and got everybody together. And we had this caravan uh, of, of 10 cars or so that were traveling down 71, Interstate 71 from Mansfield, where I grew up, to Columbus. 
Let me just tell you, this was uh, back in the, in the mid to early 90s, and so at that point, there was no such thing as cell phones. If there were, then uh, they were spotty and we didn't have them. And so we're all driving down the interstate. We're headed down to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And at a certain point, as they often do, traffic begins to pick up and some of the cars get separated. And after a while, we found out that, uh, hey, there's only three of us together. We're going to, to the, this Chuck E. Cheese and, and we'll just meet everybody else there. And we get there and we're the only ones there. And there's just three or four cars there. And so we went to the manager and asked if we could use the phone and we call the other Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, some of them are over there. Some of them are over here. And there was three Chuck E. Cheese's at the time. We were kind of spread out among the three. Kind of all spread out. We're, we're ready to celebrate. We're ready to do this thing, ready to have a good time. And what took place is this fracturing and this new party. And let me just say, all the birthday parties that my sisters had, I had three sisters, all the birthday parties they had, all the birthday parties I had, that's the only one I remember. And I remember a lot of things that I learned from that. I remember a lot of things that took place as a result of the curveball that we were thrown at that day. And that, that's just an amazing change of, of how we would travel and all the things we would do and what communication looked like and all the things that we did not expect to happen on that day. The disciples, they circled around Jesus. They had a perfect plan set up. Perhaps you came into this room today with a perfect plan set up for the season. Okay, season's changing. Here's the things I got on my agenda, the things I need to do at work, things I need to do for school. Perfect plan, everything's set up. And God's saying right now, nope, I got different plans for you. And these perfect plans, they might bring a little bit of discomfort. They might bring you outside of your comfort zone. They might ask you to step up in a certain way in the context of work or family or church or home. But I can tell you, you're going to have fun. You're going to remember it. You're going to learn a lot. Be open. Listen to me. Hear my voice. Because I want you to know the truth. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.